The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. All right, welcome, Disability Law Show. Good to have you along. Tamara Gopian is here, partner, Samfiru Tamarkin LLP, the most positively reviewed disability law firm in the land. Whether you're in Ontario or BC or Alberta, thank you for uh, thank you for hanging around with us for another uh, another show. Lots to cover today. Emails, we're going to get through plenty of those. How do you send one in? Anytime, not just during the show. Here's how you do it. Help at disabilityrights.ca to reach Tamar and her very capable team. Anytime, one 821 5900 I will give you another resource for you that is free. And it's anonymous, so don't worry about that. MyDisabilityQuestions.com. I know we pull a lot of questions from that website. Uh, You can do that anonymously, and you can search to see if your question has been asked before. Previously, it's searchable database, which is pretty cool. MyDisabilityQuestions.com. Lots to get through on the show today, tomorrow, so let's, uh, let's get it happening. What do you got off the top, pal? Off the top is a really interesting uh, situation a woman okay. that I spoke with yesterday, and I thought we're going to start off the show talking about this today. Uh, and it's interesting to me, John, but very unfortunate for her. Of course, I want to keep her uh, confidential. So let's call her, you know, Philippa, okay, for, for purposes of today. Sure. And so Philippa calls us and describes the following. She had some pretty significant physical issues, mostly to do with her knee uh, a number of years ago, I would say about three years ago now. And she worked a fairly physical job, essentially as a uh, glorified cleaner for a large retailer. And she'd been doing that job for a long time. And you can imagine with physical health issues that it prevented her ultimately to continue working. And so rightly so, she applied for short-term disability benefits, was approved, Mm -hmm. and then applied for long-term disability benefits, was also approved. But as insurance companies do in their wisdom, after the two years of benefits that she was paid for long-term, she was cut off beyond what's called the own occupation period of the policy. The insurance company said to her, look, we, we get it. You've got ongoing health issues. She, by the way, was on a long wait list for a knee replacement, which is not happening these days in this province, sadly. Um, but in any event, they said to her, look, you could go back and do a different type of job, right. different occupation, doing something essentially where she's sitting down, answering phones, uh, you know, something fairly routine and certainly very different than the long-time work she had done before she went off work. She felt herself very pressured at that point, um, did not get any legal advice at that point, and actually went back to work. And what work did was keep her in the same job, essentially the same title, but modified that job extensively to prevent from her having to do the physical elements and essentially put her in sort of office light duty type work. So let's fast forward. That was earlier last year. Right. She did that job for seven or eight months. And then unfortunately uh, had a series of health issues, mostly to do with mental health that put her mm-hmm. off work again, just about right. a month ago. So as she should have done and has done, she applied for disability benefits. Again, new claim, fresh claim. She applies. She's actually approved for short-term disability benefits right away, which great. Okay. Uh, But within three weeks, John, they send her another letter saying to her, sorry, 
we're actually declining your benefits. You are no longer approved. And they give her a number of technical reasons why she's not approved. The most significant of which is, look, you went back to work, but you did not return to your full duties of the occupation or job that you were doing, which of course, I'm scratching my head. Of course, she didn't go back. You guys know she didn't go back because you proved her for her own occupation. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I just looked at the policy. There's nothing in there that says a return to work is limited to the duties or the hours. And she has right. returned to full-time work. She just hasn't resumed the same duties because she's her health prevents her from doing so. The plot thickens, John. <laughs> There's more <laughs> to this, would you believe? She then tells me, She had two prior short-term disability claims, same insurance company in that seven or an eight month period related to COVID, but she was approved and paid for those short-term disability claims. No technical issue was raised by the insurance company for either of those claims. So I know for our listeners, where am I going with this? Well, (laughs) look guys, this is not something that's right in any way, shape or form. It wasn't right, I don't think, where they, when they cut her off at her own occupation period. I don't think it was right when they cut her off again after approving her. And certainly it's not right if they've approved her for prior claims and didn't have an issue whatsoever about her employment status. So my spidey sense tells me something is going on here, and I'm not really sure what. Uh, I have some guesses. I expect that the insurance company is looking at this and perhaps they're concerned that they're going to have her on claim again for another year or two or more. And they're concerned that this is something that financially, of course, insurance companies don't want. They're happy to take the premium, John. But when it comes around to actually having to pay the claims out, that's really when they're starting to look for reasons to start to decline claims. And in a situation like this, it doesn't make sense. And so if you're listening and you're thinking the insurance company wrote me something, it doesn't make sense to me. I mean, it's it's a lot of words. They've put two, three, four pages together. Uh, They've told me to appeal, but, but it doesn't make sense. Guess what? It probably doesn't to us either. Please don't hesitate. Reach out to us. We can talk this through. As I've said, I spoke with this woman. I looked at her policy. There is definitely a basis to challenge what the insurance company is saying to her, and we'd like to help her because I think this is a far larger issue with her claim in particular, maybe not everyone, but in her claim in particular, I see a lot of issues and we want to keep these insurance companies honest because she is absolutely entitled to the benefits, both for her physical health issues and now her mental health condition. I was thinking you mentioned when she went back, not that it makes a difference to the claim or, or this conversation, but it just wouldn't, wouldn't she kick into the recurrence clause and avoid opening up a new, you said it was a new claim. Wouldn't she just go back if she was already on or it's, a, or it's different? Really good question, John. And, and initially oh. when I saw the notes about her, her situation before we had our call, I thought, well, maybe this is in fact a recurrence claim. But she is beyond the typical recurrence time frame, which in most policies about is about three to six months. Okay. Uh, okay. And a recurrence claim typically only is is exists if the uh, di- newer disability or the the newer onset of the disability is not related or related, right? So you have to look at the policy wording to see mm. what does the recurrence provision say about the connection between a prior disability claim and a current disability claim. So for our listeners, you know, these policies are set up 
to allow you to get back to work if your health is in a place where you can. And it's, it's great. I, I, of course, people should be working. Then you're not bothering with getting a fraction of your salary from disability benefits. You're getting your full pay and you know, you're, you're out there and you're working, but sometimes you get some false starts, especially with disability. And so these policies are set up to allow you to access disability benefits again if your health issues recur, if it comes back again to the point where you cannot actually go back and work and continue working. But that window is usually between three to six months. In Philippa's situation, I think she was at seven or eight months now past the initial claim, but also has new emerging health issues different than the prior health issues. And so I think in that respect, it is actually a new claim, but it really does come down to the analysis of specifically the recurrence policy wording and the medical information. So I don't want anyone to think who's listening out there, look, if my health recurs, you know, am I going to have access to benefits? What is that going to look like? There are some technical things that you need to be aware of, but at the end of the day, Disability benefits are there to support you while you're dealing with your health. Full stop. It shouldn't be more complicated than that. As much as the insurance companies like to use the words in their policies to decline these claims, there's a lot of situations where they don't do that correctly. And recurrence claims and these kinds of issues where you've been on claim before and trying to assert a new claim, this is where the insurance companies want to resist it because I expect that they don't want you on until the end of the days, which these policies pay typically John until age 65. So, you know, uh, you know, in Philippa's situation, she's in her mid fifties. This is, I'm sure a factor in the insurance company's decision-making around what they're doing with her claim. Reaching out to you tomorrow, by the way, anytime, if uh, you have issues, just have a chat. As a matter of fact, 1-855-821-5900, help at disability rights. .ca, that's the email address we use. Uh, what else you got going on tomorrow? You got another uh, week that was, or we can move on to emails because they're, they're always piling up. <laughs> Let's start with one of our emails, All John, right. and see how much we get through. We'll grab uh, Will from the stack, and Will says, hey, tomorrow I want to communicate an email with my insurance due to stress and anxiousness. Is this legal, or can they cut off my benefits? I do not want to make them angry and more difficult on me, but I get tirelessly stressed having to talk to them, and they seem to try to put words in my mouth or try to make me agree to something when on the phone. What should I do? Well, this is a really good question. So, I mean, we don't have a lot of information here, John, about Mm -hmm. the nature of his health issues. In other words, why is Will off and on claim with the insurance company? But I've got to think that perhaps there is a mental health component. And certainly that mental health component is not assisted by the insurance company necessarily. If it sounds like what he describes, the communications with the insurance company, probably an adjuster, are causing him stress and anxiety. So what he's trying to do is, look, can I at least communicate with them in writing as opposed to over the phone to minimize that stress and that that you know, the difficulties he's having and see whether or not that's going to compromise his ongoing benefits. And here's what I'll say right off the top. There is an obligation for individuals when they are on claim with an insurance company to cooperate with their efforts to communicate with them. Okay. And usually the insurance company wants to actually talk to you over the phone. They want to get updates. They want to have access to your medical records so that they can ensure that you're continuing to meet the test of total disability under the policy. And so there is some mutuality there and a a general expectation of communication. 
However, however, there's a big but here. And the but is that if those communications, if the way that you're being treated by the insurance company is causing you undue stress, undue Mm -hmm. harm, where it's hurting your health, then this is the time where you need to get your doctors to intervene. And it is absolutely okay to suggest to do these communications with the insurance company in writing. But look, John, why don't we pick this up after our next break? We will do exactly that. And to reach out, as I just mentioned to Tamar and her team anytime, 1-855-821-5900, help at disabilityrights.ca. And the website built for you as well, mydisabilityquestions.com. We'll continue. More Disability Law Show is on the way. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. All right, welcome back. Disability Law Show. John Scholes here along with Tamar Agopian and a partner at Samfiru Tamarkin LLP, the firm that has helped thousands of Canadians across this country get what is deserved when it comes to your disability benefits and dealing with insurance companies can be one heck of an uphill climb. So you enlist the help of Tamar and the firm to uh, to guide you through this and take over the communication and help you uh Big time. You want to do that, 1-855-821-5900 is the number of the website, disabilityrights.ca. And if you have any questions, by the way, about LTD, uh, appeals, long-term disability, employment issues, long-term independent medical examinations, all that stuff, there's a website, ltdfaq.ca. It's full of little memos. You can just tap on them and read all about that stuff. It's really simple, again, anonymous and really quick, ltdfaq.ca. FAQ.ca. But I digress. Tomorrow we're talking about will and uh, communicating through the insurance company, stress and anxiety, and, uh, you know, getting up to their old tricks of putting words in his mouth or making him to agree to things he doesn't like. But it's uh, a bit of a, a bit of a stress on the guy, right? Absolutely, John. And, yeah. and you mentioned the LTD FAQs. Uh, and I can tell you there's one specific with dealing with difficult adjusters. So if Will's situation is resonating with you, you're listening, please don't hesitate. Go take a look. There's a lot of good advice on that particular information about dealing with difficult adjusters. In Will's situation, I think what I want to get across really is the fact that you don't want any disruptions in your disability claim and you getting your disability benefits. So you really do want to be compliant and cooperative in what the insurance company is requesting, but there are limits to that compliance. And so the risk, I suppose, in Will's situation is if he refuses to communicate with the insurance company, they can or might turn around and say, you're not being compliant with our efforts. We're going to cut off your disability claim because we think you're not being reasonable in the circumstances. I don't want to see that happen for Will at all whatsoever. And I do think that if there's a medical basis for him to resist these repeated phone calls and the contents of those calls and suggest to the insurance company, look, let's do this in writing, I do think that's reasonable. But that is really where you need your medical team in your corner. This is where I would suggest to Will, do get your doctor on board that explain to your doctor, look, this is what's happening. When I speak to the adjuster or the insurance company, sometimes they call them out of the blue, John. Sometimes they talk to them for over an hour about every detail of what they're doing in the day. I understand that they have a job to do, but they also sometimes lose touch with the reality of what these disability claimants are dealing with day in and day out. And so this is where, you know, a medical note, some kind of support from the doctor 
thing I've recommended to my patient that communications with the insurance company be done in writing is absolutely reasonable. You're not saying I'm not going to communicate with you. You're just saying, look, we need to do this in a a controlled environment so that it's not harming the patient and their progress with their health while they're trying to deal with their recovery. I think that's very, very reasonable. But at the end of the day, what I don't want to suggest is anyone do anything to compromise receiving ongoing disability benefits, because that's the key, right? When you're in this situation, you don't want to compromise those benefits. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just don't want to see Will get into a situation where he's, it, it escalates uh, because that escalation doesn't help anyone. And most especially, it's not a good look on the insurance company. And so, you know, yeah, I mean, it, we can and do actively work with people who have had situations like this. We will proceed on legal claims uh, and raise these issues with the insurance company in the context of the claims that we do on behalf of our clients. But of course, I'd much prefer that people's claims don't get cut off, John, because they need this financial support. Again, reaching out like uh, like Will did, the email's really simple, help at disabilityrights.ca. We'll get to one here in a, another couple minutes. What does it mean, this term, what does it mean when an insurer says that they're having a person's claim reviewed by a, quote, health management consultant? You have to follow that recommendation. What is a health management consultant? Yeah, there's different terms to health management consultant. I mean, in other words, insurance companies use different versions of this. I've seen like medical specialist. I've seen rehabilitation specialist. The the medical, uh, the health management consultant usually is assigned to a claim when they, the adjuster wants someone to specifically deal with certain health issues, but usually on the path of a return to work. So it's a dressed up way to signal to a claimant if you've got a health management consultant involved in your file, usually it means it's because they want to get you ready to get back to work. And so you want to understand from the insurance company, what is the role of the health management consultant in your claim? You want to understand, you know, what is the path? Where is it going? Are they going to recommend treatment, for example, or perhaps uh, some other therapies And you want to understand what that is and whether that's being communicated to your own doctor, your own medical team, because if it's not, then I highly suggest that you do engage your doctor and say, look, I'm getting disability benefits. The insurance company has, has put this health management consultant on my file to work with me. This is what they're going to do. And as I said, John, usually it's either to facilitate further therapy, uh, rehabilitation, and to the goal of getting you back to work. And so if your own doctors are suggesting that you're not ready for this process or you're not ready for a return to work, you want to make sure that they're aware that's whatever's happening with your care with the, with the insurance company so that if there are recommendations that are made and most likely the recommendation will be, Hey, you're ready to go back. You have your own team available to comment on this, to provide the reports and opinions that are needed to back to the insurance company to say, uh, no, I understand your health management consultant has a certain view. They're paid for by the insurance company, by the way. They are there to try and shorten the duration of claims. So in other words, their, their goal is to get you off the policy, get you off the claim and back to work. That's where they meet their success and their metrics with the insurance company. So their, you know, their bias is very, very clear. The only people who really have your best interests at heart, I find in these situations is your own doctor, your own medical team. And so you want to make sure that they're aware as to what's happening in the process. 
So, you know, look, do you have to follow their recommendations? Not necessarily, but we also know that insurance companies typically in their policies have a term that says, you know, you will get disability benefits if we think that you're getting quote unquote appropriate treatment for your health. And so oftentimes this is used as a sword as opposed to a shield. In other words, insurance companies like to use this as a basis to say, look, our, our consultants is telling us, you know, if you get six weeks of occupational therapy, you're good to go. And so you have to sort of question that recommendation, those, that advice. But at the same time, if that's what they've deemed as appropriate, the only real way to defend that process and not necessarily follow that recommendation is to ensure that your doctors are on board. Perhaps your doctor will say, sure, give it a try. Take, take them up on that recommendation. If they're going to pay for it, you want to maybe go down that path, but be forewarned that the goal really at the end is for them to meet that, that checkbox to say, oh, yep, they've went through the process and we think they've made sufficient progress to get back to work. Want to get to Zevi next email. Zevi, again, help at disabilityrights.ca says uh, a little bit of math here. Says, I've been offered a one-time lump sum amount of $56,000 on my disability claim. I've been receiving disability payments. I was approved in July of 2020. I have been self-paying for my extended health plan. I will lose the extended health plan if I accept this offer. I'm concerned that if I don't accept the offer, though, I'll be denied benefits. Brutal. It is brutal. And you know, John, and I I trust we're going to contact Zevi again about this, but anytime I've seen individuals being offered these lump sums, John, it's never enough. Okay. It's it's usually two cents on the dollar, very favored to the insurance company. And it typically comes with strings and Zevi raises one of them, which is I'm going to lose my benefits package if I accept this extended plan or this uh, lump sum payment rather. So let's start with that string and explain that a little bit. Usually when you are on disability, when you are approved for long-term disability, with that will come a waiver of premiums, premiums for other types of benefits like health and dental, and of course, premiums for life insurance and disability insurance. And so what Zevi's getting at is, look, if I accept this lump sum, you know, that waiver of premiums is going to come to an end as well. And yes, typically that is the case. So what does that mean with your other benefits packages? Do do you maintain those benefits? And I want to get out there to our listeners that usually those types of benefits are tied to your employment. So if you're still employed, typically you will still have access to those benefits, but you'll probably have to pay the premiums for them. So that is one disadvantage to accepting a lump sum payment from the insurance company and not continuing on with getting your monthly benefit, most certainly. But more importantly, what Zevi describes in his situation is that he's been on claim now with the insurance company since July of 2020. Now, look, you know, we are where we are in the year. We're getting close to, you know, mid part of 2022. And as we approach that time frame, John, this is where the two-year mark becomes very significant. I suspect the insurance companies doing what they often do, which is to think about, look, can we avoid having to do the analysis with Zevi about whether or not he's going to continue to qualify for disability benefits beyond the own occupation period of the policy? So we talk about it on the show. After those two years are up, the insurance company has to determine 
can you do any other occupation, anything in the world for which you've got the minimum educational and employment experience to allow you to essentially get slotted into a different job where you're earning roughly what you're getting as your LTD benefit. Usually that's about two thirds. And so that onus is on the insurance company to do that analysis. And we are seeing one insurer in particular, John, who instead of trying to do that analysis is saying, here, here's a bunch of a lump sum payment uh, and seeing if they can just simply get people off claim before having to do that analysis. And in the few that I've looked at, I can tell you it usually because it means that they should be getting benefits beyond that two-year mark. And more often than not, that lump sum doesn't represent what's left on the policy if you are, in fact, totally disabled from any occupation. We don't know Zevi's age, John, but as I said before, these disability policies pay until you're age 65. So there is typically a fairly long runaway of benefits that have to be paid if someone's health particularly is in a progressive state where it's just going to keep getting worse and they are not going to improve before the age of retirement. So I would be very, very weary about these kinds of lump sum offers. And usually it comes with another string. So I mentioned the one about the benefits. The the other, the most important one is that they will ask you to sign a release. They'll ask you to sign something saying, by virtue of you accepting this money, you are not going to sue us. You're not going to be entitled to benefits again. Sometimes they even include in there that you're never going to be insured by this insurance company ever again. So what does that mean, John? It means if your health improves in a few years, maybe you go out and get a different job, but it's the same disability insurer, you're not going to have disability insurance with that insurer again by virtue of this lump sum payment. And so the payment really, really is something that needs to be reviewed, really do consider getting some legal advice. And it is absolutely okay to say no to the insurance company's proposal. Yes, there's a legitimate fear that your claim is going to be cut off. But at the end of the day, that's probably where it's headed regardless, as much as I hate to say it, but that's probably where it's headed if they're trying to pay you off anyway. So be weary of it. Be, be, be aware of the fact that you're likely headed in that direction anyway. And please don't shortchange your rights by accepting the money up front at this stage without at least having a disability lawyer take a look and talk to you about some different options. Because I've got a feeling that there are some and likely the payment should be much larger than what the insurance company has proposed to Zevi directly. Zevi, appreciate you uh, reaching out through email. The phone number now, if you haven't got it already, here it is, 1-855-821-5900. We'll get to more emails. Jillian, you're up next in just a couple minutes. So stand by for that. We'll take a short break and get right back to it. Lots more of the Disability Law Show is coming up. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. All right, welcome back. Disability Law Show. Good to have you hanging in there. You want to reach out anytime, please be part of the show. Help at disabilityrights.ca. The phone number uh, to reach Tamar. Uh, partner, Sam Firu, Tamarkin, LLP, anytime, one 821 5900 is how you do that as well. You know, tomorrow we talk about the uh, the pre-existing condition exclusion on the show. We've done it before. Are there uh, are there other exclusions in disability policies that could stop disability benefits from being paid? 
really good question, John. And yes, the answer is yes, of course, because these insurance companies have set up these policies to make sure that there's words in there that fully benefit the insurance company and not necessarily the person who's trying to make a claim under that policy. Look, I'm fully biased about these things, John, and I admit that, but you know, some of these terms and conditions, you just got to scratch your head. Okay. And, and one of them is if you're on a parental leave, so if you're expecting a maternity leave or a parental leave as a result of, I mean, you know, the birth of a child, obviously, the insurance company won't pay you disability benefits for that period of time. Now, the part of the thinking with that is because there are other sources of income that you could possibly be getting during a parental leave. Some companies have a top up policy. I don't need to get into all of that. At the end of the day, what the insurance company is essentially saying is, look, you're going to get other benefits from other sources. And so we don't consider this period of time as a period of time where you were, quote unquote, totally disabled under the policy. Frankly, I've got a big problem with that because I do feel as though it could have a discriminatory component to an insurance company activating it. But they've had that provision in their policies forever. And really, uh, most people who are on a parental leave typically are getting other sources of income, and they're not necessarily thinking about, look, I need to access my disability benefits. Where this kind of example gets a little tricky is, what if you had a disability that you were on prior to your parental leave, and so you were on claim or expecting to be on claim, and then took a parental leave? Then I do think it complicates the picture for the insurance company. And there are a whole host of provisions like this, John. You know, the, the pre-existing condition exclusion, as you've mentioned, is one, which is one that gets activated by insurance companies where you've got prior health issues and you're trying to make a disability claim in that first year of coverage, then they will talk to you about pre-existing condition. There's also some other ones that make maybe perhaps a little bit more sense. One involves if you've been uh, criminally charged or are incarcerated, you're not entitled to disability benefits. If you leave the country for several months, usually it's three to four months, that will disentitle you for disability benefits while you're out of the country. Uh, but different insurers will deal with these exclusions in different ways. And sure. the one that I get my B and my bonnet on is the, the parental leave one, to be quite honest. You want to reach out to you, Candid Tamar. She did spend many years on the other side of the insurance game with uh, yes. being a lawyer, so she knows in and out, man. You want to reach out. She she knows what she's talking about, one 821 5900 Let's move down to Jillian. As promised, Jillian, thank you so much for, for reaching out. My LTD claim was denied, says Jillian. This is the reasoning I was given. Here comes the insurance jargon. It says the medical evidence does not support that your symptoms would have been present at a frequency and severity to result in a functional impairment. That would interfere with your functional ability to perform your occupational duties. Therefore, the information does not support that you meet the definition, i.e., you're not getting it. So break that down for us. So Jillian goes on to say to us that, you know, they've acknowledged that she's got symptoms and several illnesses, but that then they tell her that, you know, her physician letters are not enough. Not good enough, and yeah. she Right. And she's described this very technical jargon in this letter that they've given her saying, look, you know, you don't qualify. And, and this is why we think you don't qualify. And you're absolutely right, John. It doesn't make a lot of sense to the lay person. When you're reading these letters, you're like, what, what is the insurance company actually saying? And so I'm actually glad that she's reached out to us because she also tells us that her doctor's actually recommending that she stay off for at least another six months. And so the insurance company does have to consider the, the recommendations from her own doctor. So what's the disconnect? 
on the one hand, they're saying, we don't think you have enough sufficient functional limitations to, you know, stay off work. On the other hand, her doctor is saying, well, no, she's not ready to work. She needs to still be off. She's got a number of symptoms and several illnesses. Having done the work on the other side, I can tell you it's because disability insurers are very focused on function. They will say that time and time again, they will have case managers who typically have rehab type backgrounds and they will say, look, uh, it's not enough for you to have a diagnosis or an illness per se on paper. It's the question becomes, how does that illness, how does, how do those symptoms actually impact you day to day? Does it prevent you from functioning in daily activities? And most especially, will it prevent you from working in an incapacity, in a certain capacity, depending yeah. on whether you're on your own occupation or any occupation phase of the policy? And so it is a lot of gobbledygook, but when you strip that away, that's really what you want your doctors to focus on. You want the doctors to echo, to say the same things you were saying about your daily limitations. And I find that doctors are great, super helpful. They play such an incredible role in disability, uh, but they often don't include those details in their clinical notes and records right? And they often don't include those details in the reports that they send over to the insurance company. And so I know it can be difficult and challenging to, to sort of coach people through this process and what is it that insurance companies need. But I can tell you that if you're saying to your insurance company, I, you know, three days out of five, I cannot get out of bed because I'm too depressed and crying, but your doctor doesn't also put that in a report somewhere they're not going to acknowledge it in that way, which is extremely frustrating, very unfortunate and unfair. But for whatever reason, John, it seems as though if the doctor validates those functional limitations, the insurance company is all of a sudden, oh, okay, we should now pay attention to this. And will resist saying what they've said to Jillian, which is it's not severe enough. The functional limitations are not there. You've got illnesses, but we think you should be able to work that will be much more difficult for the insurance company to do if they've got all of that information over to them to consider. So please do ensure that those medical reports and the information that your doctor is sending over to the insurance company is comprehensive and really do get into the weeds. It's important. Those details are super important, particularly in a mental health claim. I can't say that enough. Jillian, nicely done. You want to reach out uh, any further by a phone call? You can do that. one 821 5900 That goes for you as well. Anytime you would like. Uh, questions you can be answered uh, by Tamar or a member of her team anonymously, mydisabilityquestions.com. We'll uh, get to that and hopefully get to another uh, email or two as we get into a short break and come right back from it. Lots more Disability Law Show is on the way. Stand by. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back. Disability Law Show. Tamara Gopian is your go-to person. As far as all this is concerned, when we're not doing the show, reach out. Do not hesitate. Have a chat. one 821 5900 Help at disabilityrights.ca. And for memos on disability, you have questions. LTDFAQ.ca. That's the website. LTDFAQ.ca. 
Ca. How about that? Uh, tomorrow, you know, if a person's disability claim is denied because it was submitted late, a little bit late maybe, to the insurance company, do they have any options, any recourse if that goes down? Absolutely, John. Absolutely. But there's, of course, caveats in everything that I say. On <laughs> of course. It depends. <laughs> typical, yeah. typ- typical lawyer fashion, and it makes my husband crazy. But here we go. Yes, there are absolutely recourses if you're you're claim is denied because it was late or submitted late, but it comes down to why was it submitted late and how late was it? Those are the two big things that I always ask individuals who contact us who say, okay, look, you know, I was denied because it was late. I can actually think of someone that I spoke with last week who was saying, you know, I reached out to my employer. They knew that I was uh, on a medical leave. Uh, I submitted uh, a medical note to my employer. And then they said to me, you should apply for disability benefits. They said that they submitted some paperwork and that would get the process started. John fast forward five months and nothing had happened with her claim. And so it sounded to me like maybe there was a disconnect between what the employer was supposed to do and what she was supposed to do. And so look, you know, I think there's lots of employers out there who are not necessarily certain how to deal with disability forms and what to advise their employees, but that is their duty. That's part of their obligations. The insurance company relies on the employers to ensure that they've given enough information to their employees, booklets, packages, information about when they're supposed to apply and how they're supposed to apply for disability benefits. So if you've got questions about that, The starting point is actually your employer, but it really does fall on you as well to make sure that everyone's done their part. So let me explain what that means, John. In order to have a complete application to the insurance company, typically you will need three different forms. Lots of paperwork, I know, but Mm -hmm. the, the one form comes from the claimant. The second form comes from the doctor or is completed by the doctor. And the third form comes from your employer. And so when I used to work in the, in the dark days of the insurance world, sometimes I would see the employer form and the other two forms were not submitted. And so those two forms, the doctor's form and your form, if you're listening, those two are on you to make sure that you complete and submit. Even if your employer is saying, we'll take care of it, do not trust that they will take care of it. They might just be meaning that they're going to take care of their form, not the ones that you're meant to complete. So, so this is the trouble now. Even then, the courts have given a lot of latitude to claimants when their claims have been late. I can think of one, one that we reference a lot, where the the application was actually 22 months late. Now, that was a very exceptional case, and both sides of the fence will tell you that was a very exceptional situation. But the, the courts forgave the lateness because there were circumstances involved in that particular claimant that prevented from a timely Uh, notice or application to the insurance company. But that's really what all it means. So more often than not, if you are put off work as a result of your health, you should expect that a short-term disability claim needs to be made typically within, you know, a few weeks to a month of your initial onset of your injuries or health issues. Long-term disability, however, has a longer window. Usually it's within six months or so of your initial onset of your disability claim, but always do err on the side of caution. If you're not sure, there's no harm in putting that information in forward sooner. All the insurance company is going to say to you is, look, we've received it. We acknowledge we have it. We're going to take a look. But if we approve you, your benefit won't be paid until next month or two months from now. 
that's okay. Better that than the opposite situation, which is I didn't know or I didn't apply. And you're so far late that the insurance company comes around and says, look, we can't give you a response on this because it was too far late. We lost our opportunity to adjudicate in a contemporaneous way. What does that mean? That's legal gobbledygook. It means they didn't get a chance to look at it and consider it at the time that you were sick in a timely way so that they could make decisions around, look, can we help this individual? Should we approve them? Is there treatment options? And how long is the claim going to go? So there is recourse. The short answer is yes, but it really does depend on why the things were submitted late, the forms were submitted late, and how late was it by the time the insurance company had the opportunity to look at your application. I guess a half decent rule of thumb is just don't play play fast and loose with the timeline. Just you know, don't sit back in your laurels. Get it done as soon as you can, and follow up with your employer. Make sure you're doing their part, right? Absolutely. But John, we we are giving individuals who are in in a state of disability a lot more expectations than what is necessarily yeah, reasonable, right? And so this is why I'm always careful in the kind of advice that I give people because I think that the disability itself could really prevent. Uh, certain individuals in doing these things in a timely way. Sometimes you're in such a state that you're not thinking fairly clearly. Perhaps you're hospitalized as a result of your health and that prevented you from moving forward with an application. You know, those are all very reasonable and valid reasons to not apply in a timely way. But this is why if the insurance company is denying your application, if they're saying we're not even going to look at it because it was late, even when you had a reason for it, that's where I think it's a problem for the insurance company, a big one. Because I do think even when there's a technical reason to decline your claim, they do have a responsibility to look at it and assess the disability claim itself and at least give you that response. Look, we think it's late, but even if it's late, we're also saying that we're not approving you on this medical basis. For example, as an example, You know, they will find reasons, but I think those reasons need to be founded in something that makes sense. And I think the courts have also acknowledged that, John. They acknowledge that when people are in the state of disability, that they're not necessarily going to be on top of all the paperwork. Sometimes that's going to be way more overwhelming. And so they have forgiven individuals in situations like that, where we're talking a couple of months in terms of submitting those documentation, that documentation to the insurance company for consideration. And any of these matters is a perfect example or a perfect time to reach out to you guys because this can get very confusing for anybody, right? Absolutely. And the trouble is, is that this information isn't always easy to access. So yes, the starting point is to inquire with your employer, look, what are my options? What are my timelines? But oftentimes when you start a new job, John, they give you a packet, a booklet, and you probably throw it in a drawer somewhere. You never look at it. Right. So, you know, and, and you may have different individuals you're dealing with at the, at your company and they may not know what the timelines are. So you're right err on the side of caution, but sometimes it can be difficult to even access that information, but all roads lead back to making those inquiries. And if you need the support from family members or your doctor to try and do these things for you, please access those as, because the last thing you want to do is miss out on the opportunity of ac- accessing disability benefits when you're absolutely entitled to them. And that is it for another show. Appreciate you listening in and uh, you know, answering or at least asking all your questions through email. You want to continue the conversation with Tamar and her team, one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca, and the anonymous option of mydisabilityquestions.com as well. We'll catch you next time, Disability Law Show. 
The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.